0: When I got my first Kindle in 2009, I think, or 2008, you know, that was it. I was like, I don't think i touched another book in paper for two years. And then I started reading paper books again when I was doing research on this book. And I was getting books in the library that I didn't want to buy on Kindle, um, that I just wanted to read, you know, I needed to read 10 pages of and then take back. And I found the experience of reading a book and paper so much more enjoyable for reasons that, yeah, seem silly and archaic, but, you know, that's, as a human being, what I respond to. That's the way my brain responds to, you know, something printed in, in, in the physical world versus, you know, on e-ink or, or, or screen. And now, you know, my, my Kindle sits on my desk. It's, I don't think I've charged it in two years.
1: Welcome to the BookNet Canada podcast. I'm your host, Zelina Alvey, and this is part two of our series on the print book, and why it's not going away anytime soon. After several years of quick growth, ebook sales in the Canadian market have been holding steady at about 17% of market share versus print and audiobooks for the last year or two. So, instead of digital overtaking print, despite the fears of many, we're now living in a world where readers switch between formats depending on their needs and circumstances and where it's not uncommon for buyers to borrow ebooks and buy print books, or download the audiobook, then buy the ebook of the same title, or any other combination of these options. To help us probe the mysteries of why the print book hasn't been, well, relegated to a footnote in the history books, we've invited David Sachs to share his thoughts on this month's episode. David is the author of the new book, The Revenge of Analog, Real Things and Why They Matter, and while he agrees that every format has its own particular benefits— He says there's nothing quite like a physical book that you can pick up and hold in your own hands. For that reason and others that he's researched for his book, he's predicting a bright future for both printed books and -and brick-and-mortar bookstores.
0: I uh, mostly look at the world of of book publishing through um, retail. Uh, I have a chapter called uh, The Revenge of Retail, and it essentially looks at Um, sort of the revenge of the brick-and-mortar bookstore, the independent brick-and-mortar bookstore, most specifically, uh, in the United States, um, focusing on uh, bookstores that have opened up in New York City over the past couple of years, uh, specifically this one called Book Culture, which opened its uh, third location uh, just two years ago in the Upper West Side. Uh, And really, this was sort of the first... New bookstore in the Upper West Side uh, in you know at least over a decade uh, in a neighborhood that's really sort of the heart of the New York publishing community Um, and uh, and one where I think people had really assumed that the independent bookstore couldn't survive. I mean they they actually opened up in the same retail space that um, you know decades before had been a, a store called Endicott Books and Endicott Books had served as the inspiration for uh, Nora Ephron when she was writing uh, the the Tom Hanks movie, um, or Tom Hanks-Meg Ryan film, You've Got Mail, which you might remember is, you know, Meg Ryan is the owner of this charming independent bookstore fighting to, to survive against the kind of big Barnes & Noble competitor that's opening around the corner. And there is, you know, a few blocks away, a big Barnes & Noble um, that exists on Broadway. Uh, and, and so this is kind of, you know... The, the chapter really, through the lens of what they've done, and then other bookstores that have opened up uh, around New York City in recent years, kind of looks at well, you know, here is this species of you know analog retailer selling the most analog of goods, um, books that uh, everyone assumed would just be gone, right? And there was this great period of decline of independent bookstores and then sort of even bigger bookstores, first in the, in the, in the face of you know, chains and consolidation in the 80s and 90s with, um, you know, the expansion of Borders and Barnes and Noble and Indigo and, um, and Whitestones in the UK, and then, you know, from 95 onward with the launch of Amazon out of Seattle, uh, the, the kind of, you know, dominance of e-commerce. And I think that there was this assumption for such a long time that you know opening a bookstore would have been you know an utter impossibility, and to actually succeed in it and make money would have been as well. Um, and, and I think also people thought that the same thing that happened to um, music with sort of the rise of the MP3 was eventually going to happen to printed books with um, you know, e-books and tablets. Uh, and what we've seen is, is quite the opposite. And there is growth in the bookstore market. So, you know, if, if you look at the figures from the American Booksellers Association, which is sort of a, a trade group of affiliated independent bookstores, not every affi- not every independent bookstore, but let's say the majority in the United States, you know, they have talked about their numbers growing um, from sort of 2009 to this year of, of 30%. So that's you know the number of bookstore independent bookstores that have opened, and and also you know consistent. Um, Um, growth of sales of of books and other merchandise that they carry uh, along that same time. Um, And, and, you know, that's interesting because, you know, at the same time, you're seeing the sort of large chains like Chapters Indigo and and, uh, Barnes & Noble, you know, seeing consistently declining sales and declining revenues, um, even though they're selling essentially the same products.
1: So can you tell me some of the theories you've come up with for why people continue to buy print books in physical stores? I mean, is there a psychological reason, something about human behavior? I mean, what is it exactly?
0: I think it's a combination of a number of things. I mean, I think the first thing we have to remember uh, is that, you know, going to a store to buy books or even buying books is not 100% a logical kind of Pure consumer purchase, right? Um, you know, the if you buy the digital uh, Kindle edition or Kobo edition of *The Revenge of Analog*, uh, or even download the audiobook, the content, the words in it, the ideas, you know, what I write is the exact same as it if you bought the, the hardcover for you know 35 bucks in Canada. Or 28 bucks in the U.S. Um, uh, So why would people go and do that? Why would they go out of their way to a store uh, and buy it for more money, uh, you know, the full price, than going to Amazon or some other online retailer and buying it for 30% or less, right? 30% Mm -hmm. less or even less than that. Um, And and it comes down to, you know, what, what a bookstore is and what sort of books are. Books are a consumer product that are not you know, toilet paper. Um, as much as we think they're essential, they are, in many ways, you know, a luxury good and a, a aspirational um, product that kind of gets at the heart of, you know, middle-class consumer capitalism, right? You have to be smart to read books. You have to be educated to read books. Whether you're talking about books for children, whether you're talking about, you know, 300-page hardcover nonfiction books, think what I write. Um, uh, and... And there is a feeling uh, of sort of self-worth that people get when they go to a bookstore. Um, And I think that's something that, unfortunately, is not replicable in in an e-commerce experience. An e-commerce experience is, you know, for for the best delivery of sort of price and selection. But you don't get the ability of browsing. You don't get a sense of neighborhood, a sense of place, a sense of kind of Uh, exoticism that when you go to a great bookstore um, or a neighborhood bookstore, you're you're getting a sense of community in many ways. Uh, And so people are willing to pay more for that, especially because they saw the decline of that. And many neighborhoods saw the loss of their neighborhood bookstores over the previous decades. And so now that um, new entrepreneurs are opening up new bookstores, the communities have been willing to support them because they've seen what it's like without them.
1: So what would you say to someone who says ebooks are the way of the future that I mean, there are just so many benefits, uh, particularly for accessibility and the lower costs of, associated with producing them, um, that will eventually outweigh any of the luxuries and advantages of print books.
0: Um, I, I would say, yeah, sure, of course. Like those advantages are here, and they're not going away. And you know, the technology might improve even more to make the you know online or, or digital reading experience better. But at the same time, that that's only going to take the advantages that a print book has and increase their value in the eyes of those who love them. Right. So you know, as it becomes more digitally disseminated and you know brought in from the cloud, you won't even own your books. The books that you do own are going to be the ones that you really care about. Out. um the, the tactile nature of them the way you display them in shelves in your home uh, again is an advantage uh in a way that isn't replicable online uh and so you know it's it's not a one or the other it's, it is it is both right there are people who read you know, fiction in print and nonfiction uh, digitally. Um, uh, You know, it's it's similar to the argument of saying, well, now that we all have libraries, we don't need bookstores, right? Um, But, you know, people use the different technologies and different services in different ways. And I think as long as there are people out there who like to read and enjoy um, whatever aspect of a print book that they enjoy, whether it's the design, whether it's the weight of it, whether it's the ability to display in their house, whether it's the, you know, ability to go into a retailer and actually interact with people and buy it or get it signed by an author, right? Um, there's going to be a market for that. Uh, the market is not going to be you know like it was 25 years ago um, because things have changed, but it doesn't mean that it's just going to disappear.
1: Well in that case, do you think that print books will continue to become these luxury items that are bought in fewer numbers by people who really prefer them and see the value in collecting them and as a result, Will they grow more and more expensive?
0: I mean, I, I think that is something that is kind of the nature of of you know the publishing business, right? Um, and and so they you know they look at the numbers that they're doing and they have to adjust accordingly. But that said, I mean, it's not as though the numbers have declined so dramatically in in terms of of you know sales of of books um, that it, it, you know that there's been this a value at and I think yeah as as you know it remains or it settles into sort of a niche of let's say hardcover books and and who buys them you know if that if that group will support uh, more expensive books that that are printed on better paper and look nicer, then that's you know the publishers will go there if if the mass market. Paperback or the trade paperback, the sort of less expensive option, is the one that that works for them. And the market wants that, um, then then they'll sort of go that way. But you know, you know, publishers. I mean, they do, they'll do anything, right? They'll they'll do different things for different titles. They'll do different editions for different parts of the market, and and they'll do whatever sells. I think it's. Mm-hmm you know, it's not as though people are saying, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm, you know, the difference between a $20 book and a $30 book, you know, that $10 is really the price difference for me. I think, again, it's kind of, do I want this book in paper or do I not care?
1: Okay. So what changes do you think would need to happen in the future in terms of available resources, society, technology, human behavior, um, for the trade market to go entirely digital? Like, can you picture that world at all? Is there anything that could happen that would make that seem at all possible to you?
0: I I don't foresee that. And I think it's because, you know, it comes down to what we want out of books and what we want as consumers. I mean, listen, it, it, the e-books have been around for the better part of a decade, right? Um, and it It would have happened by now the fact is it's it's still a relatively small percentage of sales, especially on you know mass market um, uh, fiction and nonfiction books so um, uh, it's not as though there's a technological impediment to it, and the fact is you know the things that people love about paper books are are the inherent analog qualities of them, so unless you know a digital book is going to somehow be simulated on some fake dead tree um uh you know i don't really foresee that it's going to go away entirely i mean unless you know paper stops being produced or um or, or or something else but again i think it's you know we've we were at that point right we've had that thing and people have the consumers have have spoken and it's not out of any reluctance to adopt the new technology. It's out of realizing what they enjoy about real books. Um, and so as long as people are saying that, then the market's going to, the book industry's going to respond by, you know, selling them real books because that's what they want.
1: Thanks to David for joining me on this month's episode. If you're interested in more research and analysis of the Book Marketing Canada, you can find free reports, infographics and more at booknetcanada.ca. We gratefully acknowledge the financial support of the Government of Canada through the Canada Book Fund for this project. And of course, thanks to you for listening.